kind of forgotten how to have fun. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. And welcome to the latest edition of Here's What We Know, the podcast of unexpected conversations. And one of the things I enjoy is when I get a chance to talk to people, people that I don't know, but it's even more fun when I talk to people that I do know. And I have known Christopher Roberry for many, many, many years. And, and I frankly, I saw him at a memorial service and I'm like, what are you doing? First of all, hi, Chris. Hi, Gary. What an introduction. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm just saying, but I asked, I'm like, where have you been? Because I hadn't seen you. You moved away. You moved away. And I said, what are you doing? And your response to me was? I help sell roller coasters for a living. He sells roller coasters for a living. That has to be the hardest cold call in the history of cold calls. You'd be surprised how easy it actually is, though, depending on who you're cold calling. I mean, you know, if Michael Jackson was still around, it seems like that would be somebody on the list. Uh, certainly. Uh, he, in fact, most of his rides are actually still around. You've got to find them. How does now I this is because it's such a fascinating topic. And I told you, I said, I want to talk about this. I just want to go down on the, a, a deep dive on this. First of all, as long as I have known you, uh, you have always had uh, you even did a documentary. You did a movie uh, on and we're, and we're going to talk about that. But when did this fascination with amusement park rides and amusement parks start? It started and was born out of terror, actually. So back in the day, uh, my grandma used to work for the city of Santa Clara in the finance department. Shout out to all of you all still out there, um, Eleanor, you know. And she, uh, she every year, uh, the company, the city, would have a picnic, an annual company picnic at Great America, because at one point they actually owned the park. And so it was pretty convenient, obviously. Mm-hmm. So... I would go there once a year with my family, and when it came to big, scary rides, man, I was terrified, 100% terrified. I'd throw a temper tantrum to not go on these darn things. I would do whatever it took to try to convince myself that this was a bad idea. Then made sure that my parents knew that it was a bad idea. <laughs> so uh, eventually, my dad just got sick of it, and he said, look, you're going to go on this ride, and you're going to like it. And it just happened to be the old tidal wave. Uh, the one that shot you straight out of the station into a big loop, and then you went back into the loop backwards. So it was quick, it was easy. If it was going to be terrible, it would be over quickly. That's what he figured. So we get up there, we get on it, and it turns out it's awesome. This is the coolest thing ever. Holy heck, what's going on? And I get off and I say, that was pretty good. And from there, we're up to, let's see, after this weekend, 411 different roller coasters around the world. Oh, my 
gosh. Mm-hmm. And it just started me down the path. <laughs> I have a nine and 11 year old boys. I have two, two sons and my 11 year old has slowly been venturing. He was afraid of them for so long, I, for so long. And he's still, there's still a bit of terror in it, but, mm-hmm. but, but he's been venturing forth. And my, my thing to him is I've always told him, listen, I get it, buddy. I get it because I was always afraid of them also. I, I, I totally understand. I said, but here's my thing. This is how I overcame my fear of roller coasters. And he goes, how's that? I said, they're free thrills. The people who just got off before you are okay. They're fine. Nobody died. And the people who were on before them and the people who were on before them and the people who go on after you and after you, they're designed to scare you a little bit. But in the end, you're completely safe. And so they're free thrills that you get to be. It's one thing to ride a horse, right? A, a, a horse is a thrill, but it's not a free thrill. A horse can, can, can buck you. A horse can do whatever, you you know, it's something like that, but it's not a free thrill. Water skiing is not a free thrill, you know, stuff like mountain bike riding is not a free thrill, but roller coasters are a free thrill that they're going to give you that, that adrenaline rush without the consequences. And you can just. Relax and enjoy. Well, relax is kind of a figurative term when you're screwed on a ride at 60 miles an hour. But you get, you know, you can knowing that, yeah, you're going to be just fine. You know, I've had a horse almost try to clothesline me in the process of doing our old Lost Parks TV show, but I've never had a roller coaster try to do that. There has been the uh, perceived danger. And I think that's the best part about it is that you know you're coming off of this thing just fine. Your odds are better of being uh, hurt on the way to the amusement park than once you're inside the front gate. Think about all the times that you watch on the TV and you see, uh, you know, oh, there's a fatal accident on the 101 or mm-hmm. 280 shut down because of an accident. It barely makes a traffic report, right? Yeah. But when you see a roller coaster has stopped on the lift hill, oh, my goodness, live team coverage, fire up the chopper, look at this, oh, my gosh. Why? Because it's so rare. And oh, by the way, if it stopped on the lift hill, that means it did its job. It saw something that was wrong and it said, nope, wait, hang on. Is that what, because we've all seen it. And matter of fact, uh, Chris, when he says Santa Clara, uh, here in the Bay Area, which is where I record this and where Chris used to live, uh, is, uh, is a place called Great America. It's, it's our local amusement park. And we have, uh, we have a number of things. We have, uh, we have six flags. We have, uh, I can't remember all the different places we have around here. Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk Santa Cruz and Beach Gilroy Gardens. Yeah, Gilroy Gardens. And every now and then you'll see these uh, rides. And and I think I think the one that actually happened over at Great America, they don't even have that ride anymore uh, when it got stuck and people were like upside down or something like that. Uh, those are that you're, you're saying that's the that's the roller coaster going. Nope. You know, rather you be uncomfortable than it be something horrible. You know, when uh, it stops on the lift hill or it stops in a brake run, that means that the computer system, the brains behind the ride, the control system is saying that it doesn't like something, and of all the billions of parameters that it's running, if one of them is not correct, then it instantly says, shut everything down. That is the immediate go-to for everything. It's the logic control. So I actually had a chance to work with a 
uh, firm that did that sort of thing. And you just get to understand just how safe these things are. You know, like you were saying, a mountain bike, you know, how many people have you heard broke their, their leg or their arm riding a mountain bike? You probably at least one person, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to going to an amusement park, no, you don't know anybody because safety is the number one priority. They, they hammer it to you when you're an employee, but it really is. They legitimately care because if something does go wrong, then that looks bad on not just them, but the entire industry as a whole. Yeah, and nobody nobody gets into anything with the idea of hurting someone. Uh, but uh, unless you're a UFC fighter, yeah, well, that's, that's, about- that's a situation. I just talked to a guy on the last podcast uh, who was a former UFC fighter, and now he's a singer. And we went through that whole process of like, how the hell did you okay, get from a- there to there? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, no. Well, the good news is, is uh, we went over to Great America just a few weeks ago and uh, got him on the, the old berserker, which is goes round and round and around. And we went with a group of friends and the kids and one of the parents and the parents, he's like this really gregarious guy. He talked him into getting on the Grizzly. I figured there was no way. The Grizzly is an old, slow roller coaster and, uh, and, and it's a wooden one. So it's a give you guys if you've never been a frame of reference. So he talked my son into getting on it with him, which I didn't think there was any way he was ready to take that step. And he did. And he got off and he walked up to me and, and he got off and I, he comes on. He had the smile on his face. And I'm like, ah, eh? and he goes, that was fun, dad. That was fun. And I'm like, that was cool. And so it gave him that perfect starter coaster to go through uh, because they used to be slower. And we're going to talk about that as we the, the the differences in roller coasters. I tell you what, I we got there and we got there and there was no crowd. There it was on the Winterfest and there was no crowd there yet. So there was no line for the gold rush. And I got on the gold. The gold rush is this roller coaster that I promise you it's a, it's a wooden roller coaster. That damn thing has to go 299 miles an hour. That is that I'm talking. You just feel like you're going to come off the tracks and you're not. This is a new roller coaster. This is a modern roller coaster, but it makes you feel like you're going to come off the tracks at literally any given second. It was exhilarating. I had to keep reminding myself during the middle of this ride that it's safe. It's all safe. It's not going to come flying off the track. I'm not going to be ejected out of the seat. It's all because it was that thrilling. That was. That was a hoot. And that's what they're trying to get back to. Is that where they're trying to get back to that, that feeling of, woo, we're right on the edge. You know, what's great about rides, like, I think you're talking about Gold Striker. Yeah, Gold Striker, uh, Gold okay, Rush, yeah. something like that. Is that she, yeah, you know, there's, well, because there's Gold Rusher down at Magic Mountain. <laughs> in San, uh, down wow. in Southern California. I see the nerddom goes very deep. I'm, my <laughs> brain is a sponge of veritably useless information until moments like this. So, uh, explains why I'm still single, probably. But... Uh, <laughs> You just haven't found the girl who's ready to go for that that ultimate thrill ride. That's all. It's going to happen. Well, fingers fingers crossed if she's still out there because hopefully she's still there. Uh, but you know, you're right that these modern wooden coasters, in fact, that matter, just modern coasters in general, use so much of that computer aided design that you can do things that 25 years ago. Well, you can't do that. Like, you have to figure this out another way. So you can shape the track in the ways. And it's not just the physical feeling 
uh, like you were saying, it's the mental, the psychological things that they do to you to make it feel like it's going faster than it really is. So when you get toward the end of Gold Striker, you notice that those hills are a little bit shorter, but faster. And those turns are just a little bit tighter because it makes you feel like you're still going faster than you actually are. And the track is sort of surrounded by those wooden lattice pieces. All those things make you feel like everything's flying by even faster and faster. When in reality, you're only going about half as fast as you were when the ride started. Wow. I'm telling you what, I, I just, because we're talking about it and, and before we get into how do you sell a roller coaster and how do you get into that? I, I'm, I'm fascinated because I know you have, I mean, you've done a documentary on roller coasters on, on a particular roller coaster. Or was it all the, give it the name of the roller coaster in the link, the, the, the movie. So in the it link. was actually, it was a manufacturer actually. So a ride. So when you go to a park and you go to, let's say a six flags or a Cedar point, uh, or whatever park you want to go to, they don't actually build those rides. They don't build them in-house 99% of the time. You go out to somebody else to build them for you. So one of those manufacturers was named Aero Development, and along with a bunch of friends from American Coaster Enthusiasts, that yeah, there really is an organization named that, uh, myself, Nicholas Laskowitz, Robert Engel, Andrew Hansis, Barbara Lawson, we got together and figured out how we could cover the story of this little company from Mount View, California, right down the street from where Google is located, uh, if you're familiar with the area. And it turns out they basically invented the modern amusement park. They helped Walt Disney build the Matterhorn bobsleds. They built some of the first corkscrew roller coaster ever built. It, what these four men started was unbelievable. And here's the best part, not to throw out a shameless plug, but, you know, if you can go to, uh, I believe it's just jump on YouTube, actually, and search Legacy of Arrow. It should be the very first thing that comes up. And we're just so excited that more people are interested in learning about this kind of quirky little piece of history. Legacy of Arrow on YouTube. Look it up. Catch out. Catch the movie. Uh, and, and was there was there significant development? Because when you're talking about things like the Matterhorn and the demon at Great America, it's stuff that's right around here. And most of the roller coaster, that was the, those are the roller coasters that are literally attached through a tube. Is that it? I mean, they, they've got they've got things around a metal tube. So there's no way that thing is coming off. And then you can make it do all the corkscrews and bizarre loop-de-loops that some of the coasters got into for a while there. I know they're still there, but it seems like now it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's becoming that speed and drop thing. But it, that allowed, that development allowed the crazy machinations of what you can do with a coaster while keeping you safe, not having to go crazy fast so you the G-forces aren't going bazonkers and, and still keeping you in the cart. Absolutely. And the, so it's tubular steel. Uh, that's what the, really made the difference. And it turns out that tubes can be bent in any direction and do all sorts of different things. And then they realized, yeah, could we go upside down with this? Because we've had roller coasters that have gone upside down before in the 1920s. Uh, they did not go well, which is why they disappeared for quite some time. Uh, they couldn't quite figure out the G-force. They couldn't figure out how they could keep the track and the train together. Uh, so with the tubular steel, you can put a three-point uh, wheel. So when you're riding on a roller coaster, you're riding on three different wheels on that axle. So actually, we push this six wheels, uh, two on each side. So yeah, you're not anywhere. <laughs> 
Wow. I just find it, I find it so fascinating. And our love affair, and it's a worldwide love affair. It's not just, it's not just the U.S., but I think, I think we, we have an obsession with it, but there's still a love affair with it. I think that's why amusement parks, I mean, amusement parks, Disneyland, Disneyland's getting to the point where they can charge whatever the hell they want for anything, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, aren't they? I mean, you sit back and think about when I when I I came to California in 1991, and a ticket to Disneyland was I'm not kidding you. Was it twenty twenty bucks twenty five dollars to get in? Did, you, did they still have the ticket books? Was it that long ago? Yeah, might have been. Might have been a you you had a, you had to be a, a a blue ticket or a green ticket or what was it called the E ticket? A B C D E. Yeah, then you, that was the E ticket was was the ride, baby. You that had to be an E ticket ride, I, and that. That became part of our slang. You're an e-ticket, baby, and we all knew what that meant. Now it's it's over a hundred dollars for a single day ticket. It's just uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot. But here's the difference: is that for the most part, when you go to park like that, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to experience something that's going to have great customer service, and that's not to say that the smaller parks that charge less aren't going to have that great experience, but when you go and you pay that much money, yeah, you would absolutely expect to get a $100 plus experience out of that. And what's crazy is that it's akin to going to, say, a hockey game or a baseball game mm-hmm. in terms of pricing, depending on which way you want to go. Do you want to pay for the cheap seats and get you know an okay view, or do you want to be right there behind home plate? Yeah, and there's so many different options, especially with amusement parks. I mean, they, my point is, I don't think they're going anywhere. Even, uh, we, we feel that need, even during, even during the pandemic. You know, the first time that we had a chance last year, we, we got, uh, season tickets for our local amusement park, uh, because it got the kids out of the house. It got them something to do. And there's just something about the joy of an amusement park and also the ability to wear your kids the hell out. Uh, it just how many times have we seen those photos of even ourselves as kids or our kids where they're passed out in the stroller and you just say, yes, mission accomplished. <laughs> what's the what's the best? What is because because I can ask you this question. I haven't ridden 400 roller coasters. I've ridden a lot. I really have, especially doing what I do. I've, I've, I've had a chance to ride almost every ride they hear here, here at Great America. And I've done broadcasts from Disneyland and I've ridden every ride they've had at Disneyland. Uh, but I don't come close to your expertise. I've done a lot of, I'm from the, the South. I, I've done Disney World. I've done Universal Studios. And so I've, I've, I've had 10 six flags over Georgia, stuff like that. But if I had to just, I know you would have it off the top of your head, your five favorites. What what would be in the five favorite list or in that area? Oh, you, know, man, you're, you need 20. You're, you're killing you? me, Gary. You need 20. 20, 20, 20. <laughs> we don't got that much time <laughs> on the podcast to be able to go into the, the inner machinations of that. Yeah. Uh, no, it's like a Sophie's Choice, really. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I've never, heard, right, I've never wanna... heard Sophie's Choice used for a roller coaster t- <laughs> well, you know, cross another one off the list of life, my friend. <laughs> All right. So we're doing top five. I won't even split between wood and steel. I'll just go say top five just because my number one favorite is still, uh, it's a, I'd say tiny. It's an 80 foot tall wooden coaster called the Phoenix. And it's at a little amusement park in Knobles, called Knobles in Elysburg, Pennsylvania, in the middle of the state. You've never heard of it. 
It was a ride was actually rescued from a park uh, down here in San Antonio, Texas. It was taken apart piece by piece, a wooden coaster, mind you, with no labels on it. And it shipped up to that park in Pennsylvania. They rebuilt it. And it just so happens that they also own a lumber mill. So they got plenty of wood to use. And they maintain that ride just so immaculately and so good. It's not the tallest. It's not the fastest. Darn it. It's just the best. The Phoenix. The Phoenix. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go deep on that. Tell me what makes it your favorite. Cause that's a big statement. Somebody who's ridden as many roller coasters as you and sells roller coasters. That's a big darn deal than if I gave you my top, because that doesn't matter as much. No. So the thing that makes it so good is that a, it's a classic. So it, it's from the 19, you know, that 30s, 40s era when just rides were good. They still are good, but it's a different style. It's uh, the wood, which, of course, can change throughout the day. So it can be from, you know, being slower in the morning, to warming up in the afternoon to being just bonkers in the evening. And they use an older style train restraint. It isn't the individual little lap bar that kind of clicks down on you. Uh, it's called a buzz bar because when it goes into the station and you uh, unlock it, it goes, and that's what opens it. So it's just one big bar that goes across the top. So you've got a lot of room if you're a skinny person. And even if you're not a skinny person, if you're someone who enjoys your Chick-fil-A, it's okay because there's plenty of room for you too. And you go over those hills and my goodness, your butt is up out of that seat. And you're experiencing the greatest feeling on earth, which we call airtime. Airtime. And this ride is just filled with it. I don't know how the way it's shaped. I just, there's something about that ride that was just special and it just, it's magical to me. Wow. And I have to give a close second though to one that you know, which is the giant dipper at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. You put an old wooden coaster on the coast. You can smell the corn dogs when you're going up the lift hill. And that ride is just so picturesque, in addition to being from the golden era of rides from the 1920s when anything was possible. And it's one of the last of its kind. It's going to be 100 years old in 2024. And it's still better than some wooden coasters being built today. That tells you how good it is. It's it's a delightful ride, y'all. It's it's in Santa Cruz, California. I went through 1996, one of the worst years of my life. I I, I had debts, I had divorces, I had it's just a lot of changes. And I was telling everybody, I think one of the things that kept me from the scourge of depression, and I don't take that lightly, is you could used to go down and buy an all day ticket uh, back in 1996 for five dollars during the week, five dollars, and you could ride rides all day. Because Monday through Friday, there wasn't that many people who would come out. I would take the 30-minute drive down to Santa Cruz to see the beach, and I'd get on the Big Dipper, and I bet you I would ride it 10 to 20 times a day. And I did that three to four days a week for probably a period of six weeks, where I would just go and get on the giant. And sometimes there were so little rides that I would just ride over and over and over again because there weren't there wasn't any lines. Right. Those days are gone, by mm -hmm. the way. But I would do that. And I, I agree with you that there's something magical about the sea air. There's something magical about the way that coaster sounds. And it's not the highest coaster you'll ever go on, but there's something about being able to see the parking lot and the ocean and the just everything. It makes it feel like you're a half mile up in the air. 
And, and, Absolutely. And it's not even as high as some of the other rides they have right there on the park. But it no, still feels it's not high. the tallest ride at the park. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, but it just... It has, you know, people sort of laugh at me when I say this, but I, it's true. It's like one of those classic cars, you know, a good roller coaster. It has a soul, mm-hmm. right? It has something about it that you cannot point your finger at and say, that's it right there. There's something else to it. And, you know, going off of your, your whole thing of, you know, 96 was a bad year for me. 2004 was a pretty awful year for myself as well. You know, I lost my mom to leukemia in mm. three months. and Parks had always been a sort of refuse, a sort of place where you know you're going to have a good time. And I sort of confided in that. And I think that's kind of part of the the allure is to know that things might be awful. We look at the pandemic and everything going on out there. We just need to have fun. That's what we need to do as a society. We've kind of forgotten how to have fun, right? Because as soon as we go and do it our regular job, what are we doing? Well, if we're actually doing a regular job we're not on social media, you know, posting updates about, you know, and photos on Instagram or what I just had for lunch at Burger King. <laughs> but you uh, you go from that, from home, or rather from work, where you're doing actual work, to home, and what are you doing? You're on social media, and you're doing more work. You're, you're looking at other people's feeds. You're not actually stopping everything and putting the phone down and just having a good time. When was the last time you actually did that? It's kind of hard to remember, right? But I guarantee you, unless you were breaking the rules and doing something really stupid, you had your phone down on a roller coaster, screaming your head off and having fun. You didn't care about your Facebook. You didn't care about what everybody else was doing or what they were wearing or anything like that. You were just having fun. And that's a very special thing in our society that we've forgotten and that those provide us. It's getting it's getting kids to do that because I, you know, uh, I remember last time I was at Disneyland, I was down there for a broadcast and how many people were standing in line or just standing somewhere and you could see they got their, they had their phones up and they're taking their faces. They got their picture up and you could tell they're going hashtag blast Disneyland so fun. And I'm like, but the fun's out there. Put the phone down. The fun's out there. Go, go have fun and go do that. But we have to, yeah, I, I, I try to do that with my kids as far as like, go have fun. They don't have phones yet, right? Cause I'm trying to hold off on getting them a phone for as long as I can. That, that's, that's true. And, uh, but I want them to go have fun out there and doing stuff and seeing as I, as I was sharing, sharing that story with you, seeing him walk off that roller coaster and seeing that look in his eye that I know that I was that way the first time I got off a roller coaster that was fun. Now, not some rides which are horrific and stupid. I'm looking at you, Zipper. I'm looking at you, Zipper. <laughs> Zipper, you're the worst <laughs> damn ride in the history of rides. I hate you. I hope you burn in hell, Zipper. Burn Burn in hell. Did you ever, well, did hold you ever on. Ride that I ride? find it ironic, though. What? That, like, how good or you know, well-known is a ride that you don't know who built that ride. But, damn it, you know exactly what it was called. And I can almost surmise that you probably, if you, like, we stopped for a second, we just thought about it, you could 
hear that ride in your head right now because oh. it's got that distinctive whine to it. Listen, it had the damn, it had a train engine. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother, it, they, there was a carnival when I was growing up. Uh, we had the 24th of June, which was a Masonic celebration. Don't ask me. I don't know. Whatever. But for some reason, on the 24th of June, my little town that I grew up in would stop and there would be a carnival in town. They, they, I, I can remember it. There used to be just this little flat spot and that's where the carnival was. And, uh, and, and they would undoubtedly, it was on the back right hand side. If you're standing there facing the carnival area, there was the back right hand side. There was the wonderful tilt a whirl, which I always love. There's something about being spun around and feeling that weird feeling that you get in the middle of your body all the way down to your nethers. And there's something cool about that. But, but, the, but the zipper, my brother, Rest his soul, but by the way, screw you too, Mike. Uh, would <laughs> he would get me to go on the zipper? Maybe he got me to do it twice, right? And as soon as I ever had another say so in my life, one of the things there was a few things I was never going to do, and one of them was ride that damn zipper. And if you don't know what the zipper is, y'all, it's a cage that's shaped like a seat. And you get in and it can hold up to two people. And there's a bar that you can, cause the, the cage is free, freewheeling, right? So it's on a ball bearing. So it's spinning around. It can spin around as much as you want it to spin around. And, or you can lock it in place. And as the thing goes around, it's on a, it's on a, like a bar. And then they spin the bar. So at some point you're going to be up. If you want, you can lock it in place and you'll be upside down as it spins. Holy mother of God. That was the most, and there, that, that's not a roller coaster. See, I told my kids, there's some rides that I don't ride because they're not roller coasters. They're not giving me the feeling of going up and anticipating and all the, the zipper is meant to be survived. That's all it is. <laughs> Right? It's running through a minefield. Maybe you'll step on one, maybe you won't. But there's no thrill. The best way I can describe, although you've done a, a fantastic job, uh, for those who still don't know what the zipper is, it's the Ferris wheel from hell. That's the best way to describe a zipper. It is the Ferris wheel that you would find in the devil's butthole. That's what, that's what it is. It is, it is the worst, right? And you know, the funny thing of it is, is the people who love it, love it. My brother loved it. He could not write it enough. And he, he went on to become a helicopter pilot. So maybe that explains something. Uh, but it was, there's just certain rides like that, that I just, do you like the zipper? Do you ride it? I, you know, I haven't been on one in a while, uh, mostly because I haven't had a chance to get out to any, uh, you know, carnivals. Because obviously, with the pandemic and everything, it's a bit harder to get, to get those going. Uh, I will say, I've I've had enjoyable experiences uh, on the zipper before. It's it's been a, a it's definitely intense, uh, especially when it rounds that corner and, and you're flipped at the right degree. And oh man, it is there is some whip to that for sure. Uh, but is it my favorite one of a flat ride? Because we call those a flat ride. Uh, probably, probably not. Would I do it? Sure, but I probably wouldn't uh, marathon it, as uh, it sounds like uh, some of your friends have done. No, no, I would not do it ever, ever again. Why do they call it a flat ride? Is because it's not going anywhere? <laughs> no, they call it a flat ride because uh, back in the day when it was a carnival, it packed flat. So a zipper literally just. Uh, sits on a trailer, single trailer, 
And then it just pumped up with the hydraulic things where it tilts up at a 90 degree angle and takes a bungee cords off of it. Ta-da! Zipper's done to go. So well, the fact- any ride that's like spins you around or just sort of sits somewhere not moving that's not a roller coaster is pretty much a flat ride. The fact that most amusement parks don't have zippers should tell you something. The fact that they can only get carnies to operate them damn things, right? Well, that's because that, that, now hold on. I'll defend my industry on this. Hold on. The reason that they never made a park version of a zipper is because no park asked for it and it was more successful as a carnival ride than they didn't want to do the investment into making it a permanent attraction because there's all sorts of re-engineering and all sorts of other things you got to do. There are some rides that go from being a carnival version to a uh, park version. Tilt-A-Whirl is a great example or a Scrambler classic. Those rides are not only a park model, which is ones that you know, have a concrete foundation, and those that just sit on the ground once you sort of level it off. So there are some that have crossed over, but you're correct. Zipper is not. One I'm of just them. saying, Chris, you proved my point that the parks would go, hey, Scramblers sound great. What did I say? Tilt-A-Whirl, best ride. It was such a fun ride. Scrambler's fun. My, uh, my kids learned to ride the Scrambler. My oldest rode, rode the Scrambler and loved it. He, you know, you, you watch them, you watch them evolve, right? And, and the Scrambler's mm-hmm. the next step up with, for you're like, okay, it's going to spin me around. It's going to spin me around. That's kind of fun. And because my youngest is a little bit more daredevilish and he got his older brother to go on ride with. Him. And so he's like, and I didn't know how that was going to go. And they got done and I'm looking and they're like, can we go again? Cause there was nobody at the park. And I'm like, absolutely go again. Uh, so, you know, there are those rides, even Walt Disney, man, they get those, the spinning teacups, the scrambling. There's that fun, that's that fun ride. I think half mm-hmm. the appeal of the zipper is you truly, unlike a roller coaster, don't know if you'll walk away. <laughs> <laughs> well, working in the industry and selling attractions, I would have to argue otherwise. <laughs> We're going to get back to that. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm coming back with my buddy, Christopher Roberry, who sells roller coasters for a living. And it's the roller coaster episode of Here's What We Know. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying this podcast, then maybe you'd like to hear more. Gary Scott Thomas hosts the morning show at 95.3 KRTY in San Jose, and you can tune in at krty.com. At 8.30 each weekday morning, Gary and Julie talk to artists, songwriters, and industry insiders. You'll hear from people like Garth Brooks and Luke Combs, new stars like Ingrid Andrus and Maren Morris, and songwriters like Shane McAnally, Lori McKenna, and Luke Laird. You'll find the best in country music on the South Bay's Best Country, krty.com Okay, okay. So, as we get back and just defending your industry, I'm just saying the zipper the zipper is the only one that ever made me, well, as you can tell, it still made me angry. Every other ride, even the rides that I'm not necessarily a fan of, I'm not a fan of the drop rides, right? Where they just literally you sit in the chair and they take you up and then they drop you. Right. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of mm-hmm. that, even though I do love that feeling when it's associated with a roller coaster, because I love the anticipation of it going up, but I'm still moving forward. And then I'm going down the whole thing of just going straight up in the air and then dropping me. And not so much. So our company just opened the world's tallest freestanding free fall in Holy Orlando, crap. Florida, just last week. Holy crap. 430 feet tall full four seconds of free fall time and oh by the way just because to add a little extra fun to it because i know how much you love these rides uh we also decided that we were going to uh tilt the seats at the top 15 degrees out 
tilt them like you're falling out anyway? Like they're they're like they're, 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 they're like you're tilting it toward the ground? Well, yeah. Why would you tilt it up to the sky? All you're gonna see is more blue. You bunch of psychotic bastards! <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> They, you know, they had the. You remember, and again, I, again, I know this sounds local. I know people listen around the country and around the world. We have this thing called the drop zone, and when it was mm-hmm. brand new, they would take you up and they would drop you. Right. Well, my kids love this story. I have to tell you. So they, it was a Thursday afternoon. Great America was getting ready to open for the season, and they're like, "Hey, could Gary come out and we'll have him ride the ride, and we'll have a cell phone, and you can record it. These new cell phone things, right? We have a cell phone, mm-hmm. and it was the brick cell phone. You remember the brick cell phone? It looked like a brick that weighed oh, about with five the pounds. Pack. Yeah, yeah, weighed about five mm-hmm. pounds. And so it was like, okay, we're going to take you up, and you'll record the break, and then we'll drop you, and then we'll get to hear you get to hear you go, oh my god, ah! you know, so. Th- That'll be fun, right? Again, the cell phones of those days did not have the. There were not as many towers, right? There just wasn't many towers. So they took me up, and I'm I'm with you know the guys on the air in the afternoon. I'm saying, hey, okay, all right, okay, wait, hey, this Gary, I was going up at the drop zone, and we ah! and we get to the bottom right, and I say, okay, did you get it? And he goes, you cut out halfway through. <laughs> so they said, uh, you want to do it again? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. And again, remember, not my favorite rides. So they take me up. Okay, we're recording three, two, one. Hi, Scary. I'm over. How did that happen? You cut out five seconds into it. Because, see, I have no way of hearing if I cut out. I have no way of hearing. Right. They're just recording me, and I'm just talking to a brick. Seven Literally a brick. times. Seven times. <laughs> Times they took now, me you up know what seven I would call that though. times in a row. You would call that an orgy of fun, uh, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, take the words out of my mouth. Yeah, that was that was seven times. And the bad thing is, is like with any roller coaster, after you've done it enough, even the thrill is gone. Right. So I'm just like at this point, they're, they're pranking me up, and I'm just like. I'm not even because I I get scared when I'm lifting up off the earth and I'm just going straight up. Right. But by the seventh mm-hmm. time, you're like, phone, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to throw this damn phone. I swear I'm going to throw this phone. But I wasn't. <laughs> I was so pissed off. I couldn't even get scared anymore. Right. So <laughs> you're attending. I was just up, and then finally we get through, and he got, I got it! And I'm like, thank you, God. My kids love that story. Every time we're over there, they're like, there's the ride. Dad, you want to ride it? Nope, I've had my fill. I've had my fill. Thank you much, son. Nope, I'm done. Well, then the next time I'm out at that park, then I'm going to be like, all right, I'm riding this one for Gary Scott Thompson. That's it. We're loading up and doing it seven times. 400 feet. Now, you know, Great America, how much taller is it? Off the top of your head, how tall is that ride? What's sad is I know exactly how tall it is. The drop tower at Great America is 224 feet tall. Uh, so this one's roughly twice as tall. Holy crap. <laughs> and, of course, it's uh, in the same park as the world's tallest swing ride, which is about 450 feet tall. My kids like the swing ride, but I don't know if they would get a kick out of being that high up. It's, it's, a, trust me, it's an experience, let me tell you. Uh, we have one actually at the Six Flags near us here in Arlington, and it's about 400 feet tall. And uh, it still gets me going, just like, going like, why was I on this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a swing ride. So it's just literally, you're just going around and around in a circle in a chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a chair at 400 feet in the air at 35 miles an hour. 
Wow. That's that's moving a pretty good bit. It's not bad. And what's great is that there's a little wind up there. Then the seats start to uh, just sort of uh, twist a little bit in the wind. Oh, man, the reactions up there. There are some words that we cannot repeat on radio. I <laughs> would be so <laughs> damn scared. And that's the thing, right? I mean, when, you, when you're the roller coaster and the amusement, the thrill ride industry is trying to figure out what's next. Is it? And I'll ask you this. One of the things I remember, there was a trend, and I don't know if it's still there. But I remember down mm-hmm. in Florida, like at Bush Gardens or whatever, I, I remember them advertising years ago the world's longest roller coaster. That it was like, I don't know, two minutes long or something like that. You would know better than I do. And I thought that was a cool thing because the bad thing with a lot of roller coasters is you're on them and, and it's over. You know, is, the, is that true. trend still there or is it or is it started to dissipate and we're just going for the because the bad thing about a long roller coaster is a long line. It's a you, you got to wait forever. Right. Well, you'd think that, right? But not necessarily. So depending on how long you make a ride, you could add things, safety brakes, block brakes, we call them. And if that's the case, you can run multiple trains, uh, which can increase capacity. So, for example, uh, what's the one down there? Hagrid's Magical Motorbike Adventure at Universal's Islands of Adventure. Oh, yeah, I love it. There's that. a mouthful to try to say five times fast. I've ridden it. It's cool. It, it can run 12 trains Wow. at a time. Uh, it doesn't because it comes, there's problems with stacking and everything else. But if you run about 10 trains at a time, you can imagine that's a people eater. And I think that's where the industry is actually going now is to find attractions that are very high in capacity so that more people get to ride them again and again and again. So that you, you know, it's statistically proven according to people I used to work for that the more rides you go on as a guest, the happier you are. I mean, it's not rocket surgery to figure that out, right? So if you add more rides... Rocket surgery. I'm so stealing that. I'm so stealing that. (laughs) Rocket surgery. I love that. (laughs) Uh, I can't take claim to that. But yes, the more rides you get on, the happier you'll be. So if you add rides that have higher capacity, then more people get to ride them. So I think that's really what the trend is. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a very long ride. It just has to be a ride that can put more people into it. A great example, Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and Disney World. Never stops. That thing can choose people up mm-hmm. like crazy. It never stops, and it can put in thousands of people an hour. You rarely wait longer than 30 minutes for that ride. Mm-hmm. Usually it's only like a 13-minute wait because they don't do a 10-minute wait because, you know, Haunted Mansion. So it, it's, that's where I see everything kind of going. Well, and also it seems to me uh, that you're starting to see more – visual things to go with the ride. I mean, you're seeing that Universal Studios and stuff that, uh, that, uh, you, uh, you, you know, that they have the Harry Potter stuff and all that. That includes screens and you're interacting with along with the thrill and the drops and the turns and the this. It seems like that's also something that's becoming prevalent or am I just making it up? No, you're not. You're, you're absolutely right on the whole idea of immersion. It's been around for a long time, but I think we've kind of gone back to it a bit more. There are some rides that just don't work for immersion, though. Like, they're just good as standalones. Like, you know, your wooden roller coasters. They're probably not that great if you put it inside, Mm -hmm. just because it loses that visual appeal to it. 
or maybe a ride that has a lot of beautiful loops and corkscrews and curves to it. You want that out there so people can see it. But that doesn't mean that the station can't be really immersive. Or maybe the line has a lot of things in it that distract you from the fact that you're waiting an hour and a half. It doesn't feel what's an hour and a half. And of course, Disney is the, you know, the OG when it comes to that. It's, like, oh, you, it's right there. Don't worry. Like, oh, no, we're going to another room. Oh, but after this turn, we'll be right there at the station. Nope, you got another hour to wait. Oh. <laughs> I will say, since you spoke uh, Disney, and I told you how much I, I'm not a fan of drop rides. I will say mm-hmm. their Guardian the Galaxy ride, which I guess was the old haunted hotel or whatever it was, haunted elevator, whatever it was. The old Tower of Terror. Tower, Tower of Terror. That's it. I love that ride. And I love it because you don't see yourself going up. You don't see, mm-hmm. you don't have the visual cues. And I think it's so much better because all you do is the feeling. You feel the weightlessness. You feel the rush, but you don't have the visual cues going, oh my God, I'm going up, I'm going up, or I'm going down. Except that one little thing where they open it up at the top at the, the last time before they close it and then you see the little drop, but you still don't see yourself dropping. I'm telling you, that is the one... Uh, that is my one ride I have to go on along with the Incredicoaster. Those two things I have to go on when I go to Disneyland. I don't care what else I do. I'm doing that. So one of the cool things that uh, one of our ride manufacturers, because we have several different ones under our, our name, and like in terms of rides that we represent and sell, we're like the Tom Cruise of selling things uh, from that movie. What was that movie with Cuba Gooden Jr.? Uh, 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 Jerry Maguire. That's it. We're Jerry Maguire. Like, we represent, like, 10 different brands. So one of the brands that we have, its name is Gerslauer. They're from Germany. They have a vertical lift hill, which means that you start sitting in a regular seat, and then you get pulled onto the lift hill, which is a big chain thing, and it pulls you straight up 90 degrees. So you cannot see, really, from the side how high you are. You don't look around because you're looking straight up because you're basically laying on your back. And you only realize how high you are when you get to the very we do the over vertical drop so just kind of like that free fall drop with the fact that you can't see the track underneath you (laughs) (laughs) guys everybody listening i can just hear gary just like yep nope nope, but now there's some like i i tell you uh, because you told me your favorite my favorite roller coaster that i've ever been on is the hulk down at uh, universal studios I think that that's is, a good ride. I think that's the best roller coaster I've ever been on. That it's fun and it's been around forever. I, I mean, it, that thing has been around for, I can't tell you how long and it's still a thrill to me. And the fact that it is a very long ride. I mean, you get your money's worth on that thing. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know, but that probably doesn't make your top five. Uh, no, it doesn't. Only because uh, there's a new coaster that just opened there, Jurassic World Velocicoaster, on the other side of the pond at Islands of Adventure that just blew me away. Where, as Hulk is all about positive Gs and that feeling of being squished into the seat, you know, through the loops uh, and the inversions, yeah. Velocicoaster is all about the negative Gs. You're getting your butt out of the seat in through its inversions, and it's just Oh, man, it's probably my top steel coaster right now. I'll it's see. that darn good. How did you get into selling roller coasters, Chris? I, 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 <laughs> I've gotten so much into talking about everything roller coaster, and this has been just so much fun. But I do have to know your journey. What? How do, how do you get, how do you go from being a fanboy 
All right. To mm-hmm. actually, this is your job because you're literally the whole, hey, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You're that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to think that. And I'll be honest, though, it, it came with a lot of um, pain and pissing people off. That's for sure. So I started off just, you know, as a fanboy and like, oh, this is cool. Then I got a job at the Great America theme park, you know, your local amusement park. And, you know, did it for two seasons. Turns out I wasn't really very good at, you know, corporate stuff. And so I uh, bounced around a few other places, uh, came to eventually work with you all at the uh, radio station there, KRTY and KLIV. Um, never getting you the newspaper in the morning whenever I did the overnight shift. That was always fun. Like, <laughs> I get to see Gary at the worst time of the day, like three in the morning. Yeah, when I'm first here and in all my beauty and glory. We don't even have a newspaper anymore. You know that? We don't even do newspapers. Oh, God. I know. Uh, but anyway, so we, I did that. We did the documentary. And uh, Six Flags Over Texas reached out uh, in about late 2016 and said, hey, you looking for a job? Because at the time, the uh, news station had uh, closed shop. And we said, uh, yeah. So I moved out here, did that for a few years. And eventually, uh, my friend, uh, shocker, you're not going to believe this, runs a roller coaster museum. At least we're working to build one in West Texas. And because there isn't one, there's actually no history museum about roller coasters anywhere. So we figured, well, hell, let's let's do it for us. So we're building the museum out there, and I saw that they needed help with their social media. I'm decent at social media, so I said, I'll help you guys out. Took some photos whenever I go out there, and all of a sudden, uh, the, my current company, Ride Entertainment, reached out and said, hey, who's doing your social media? Because it's, it's really good now. <laughs> and uh, uh, Gary, my friend, says, well, it's my friend Chris. Uh, why not? Like, w- would he be interested in coming to work for us? He's like, yeah, probably. And that's how I got to sell roller coasters. If you can believe it. Wow. So what's the process? What's it? What's it? What's what's a typical day like for you? <laughs> uh, well, it uh, since I work remote because our office is actually in Maryland, uh, but I live here in Arlington, Texas, uh, because it's actually easier for me to get anywhere in about three hours. Thanks to DFW and Love Field. Shout out to my boys at American and Southwest, by the way. <laughs> uh, we. Um, Generally, we go out on sales calls and where a park will, or a facility will reach out to us and say, Hey, I'd, I'd like to, we're thinking about buying this. And we'll go out there and show them what they can do and say, Oh, but by the way, what about the, you know, have you ever thought about doing, you know, A, B, C, or D? Uh, we do trade shows so we can go out to, there are amusement industry trade shows. It's incredible. Uh, it's very overwhelming if you've never been to one. And you literally walk around, and if you're a fanboy, it's like, oh, my God, it's every single ride manufacturer is right there, and they're all superstars. But they'll come to us at the booth and say, hey, can we have a meeting? We want to talk about 2023 or whatnot. Sure, no problem. Come into the meeting room. So what are you guys interested in? Well, we're interested in a dark ride, you know, one of those rides that you go around slowly into, into a building. Or we want a roller coaster, but we want one that makes a statement. Excellent. Let's take a look and see what we might have. What might you be interested in? And just kind of figure out their needs and what they're looking for. And I just try to fill it. They're always looking to raise their attendance and raise revenue. So what better way than to come up with a ride that fits in their budget, fits in the space allotted, and fits in their time frame? It's just like putting the puzzle pieces together, honestly. Now, I know, I know this is the sensitive part and it may not want to get you in trouble like any, any stretch of the imagination. But really, when somebody sits back and says, I want to put up a roller coaster, your first thing has to be size and how much you got. 
right? Because I would think there could be no, there, 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 it's hard to find an upper limit on roller coasters as far as financial, what they could cost, huh? There are some attractions that have gone north of $100 million, uh, wow. which a lot of that goes into the theming and the land prep and all sorts of other different things in addition to the ride system itself. Uh, there's one that's being built in Saudi Arabia. I don't even know how much it's going to cost, but it, it's well north of $100 million. And multiple if you're spending $100 million, dollars, you're expecting to make a billion dollars on it, aren't you? You certainly would expect to make it back pretty quickly. Yeah, so it better be damn good if you're spending that much money. But it's like your smaller parks that say, you know what, I've got $7 million, which is a big investment for them. Yeah. Then you can get them a, a ride that's got, you know, a lot of pizzazz to it. It looks good and it rides great. And that's, that could work too. And you could pay that off in two to three years, sometimes even just one year if it's something that really just takes off. How long, just again, this is all hypothetical. How long would it take to put up a $7 million rotor coaster? How long does it take to actually construct it? To construct it? It doesn't take that long, actually. Once you do the soil sampling and Make sure that everything looks good underneath. Gosh, you got to make sure it doesn't sink and stuff. Like, I mean, that the ground can support what yeah. you're doing. So, so okay, I have to, there is a fun story my friend Gary always tells. Uh, when Back in the day when uh, a park was building a very uh, large wooden roller coaster, um, there's a creek that runs right through the, uh, the, the plot of land the ride's on. And uh, so the, the, the engineer was doing a piling to, you know, put in for, to eventually mount onto the wooden structure. And so he's putting the piling down and he starts pouring the cement. And all of a sudden, like an hour later, they're still on the same piling. It's like, what the hell? So they, they bring a second cement truck in and they empty that truck. And they go, well, wait a second. Where the hell's all this cement going? And of course, uh, being the salt of the earth guy is like, well, I must have paved all the way to China with those two trucks. So they eventually moved the piling to a different location, but they thought that they pretty much poured two cement trucks into a cave that they didn't know was down there. Oh, wow. So they're like, okay, yeah, we have to change the designs a little bit. Because there's, so there's got to be so many different moving parts. I mean, you gotta you got to know your ground. you got to know exactly. Are you doing it on a cave? Will the soil conduct it? What are the air? There's got to be just like a million questions that have to be answered to put up any single ride. I mean, realistically, on the shortest of time frames, you need about a year to go from you sign the contract for the ride, for the ride to be manufactured, delivered, soil samples, get the footers in. And then once you actually see the footers in, it only takes a matter of months, sometimes weeks, depending on what type of ride it is. There's one ride in Germany that uh, takes only seven days. Uh, Mind you, it was designed to be portable, but it's the largest portable ride on Earth. takes about 70 rail cars to move it. Wow. Now that's mm-hmm. a carnival Legendary. right there. That's a that carnival. Is, that's not a carnival, my friend. That is Germany Oktoberfest. Germany October. Wow. Those damn, you know, and them and their precisions. They do the precisions very, very well. It's what we do. It's what we do. Well, let me, let me tell you, though, I got to admit, I went out there in 2011 to Oktoberfest, and it makes, as an American and a former Californian, it makes me weep because I looked around and there was no safety railings. There were no uh, guardrails or anything like that. You want to why? Because they didn't need them. Here we have these German men and women who are blitzed out of their mind on five, six liters of beer at a time, stumbling around, and nobody ever got hurt. The bumper car arena, Gary, did not have a fence around it. 
Like you could just walk right onto that electric fence and have the shock of your life. But they never needed to because no one ever had a problem with it because they didn't do it. And you know, you come back to, you know, the Bay Area or California and there's, oh God, there's safety rails and then there's safety warnings and then you got to sign this waiver as well. And then you got to sign that waiver for the waiver. Don't forget that too. And then, oh, there's a second railing because the first railing wasn't enough. It, oh. Germany does math. We don't do math in this country, right? So we don't do math that we go, that we go, Hey, maybe you shouldn't go over there. And you know, you watch people with their kids as a parent. Now I sit back and go, uh, I'm literally just to go off on topic, just to give you an idea. But I'm at my son's basketball game the other day and there was a guy there who had his, she was a year, year and a half old toddler. He said they watched her and the kids are playing the game, right? The kids are playing the game. She walks out on the course and he's just standing there. He's looking right at her thinking, well, it's okay for a one and a half year old to be walking around on the court while other kids three times her size are playing basketball. And you're just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. What, what, you know, not to get all too, you know, uh, culturey, et cetera, into you know, where we're at as, as, as a society, but what, what happened to my generation? Like we were ones like we had our, our parents, you know, they had it pretty rough, you know, going through the sixties the and whatnot. And then all of a sudden they were going to give us, we were going to be awesome. We were going to be the best. And then all of a sudden we all got participation trophies. Well, because they didn't and, want and us to we go. Just all of a sudden thought that we were the, the most special, most important thing ever. And that was it. They, they didn't the want people to get rejected. They didn't want to get people to get rejected, right? So my, my parents are older than yours. My parents survived World War II, right? So mm-hmm. there, there was no participating trophies for us, and you didn't make the team, and this and that, and you're that's it. You're over, right? Uh, and so you would you, you get these people thinking that we're trying to help, that we're trying to keep our kids from from those bad feelings. But the truth of it is, we all need those bad feelings. You have to know where a parameter is when you're training a, a dog. I love my dog to death, but when you're training her, she has to know this is where your limits are. This is right here because it helps her. Once she knows where the limits are, okay, I can play in this area and here's my limits. And I take the same thing with kids. Listen, you got to know where the limits are. And if you learn how to look for limits, I I never needed a guardrail. I never needed anyone tell me not to rec- to touch an electric fence. I just didn't need it because I was like, okay, well, uh, I can do the math. That plus that equals owl. All right. I, I, I'm just not going to go down that. And you watch that now where it's like, holy moly. And the fact that you could go to Germany and they could do that. But you and I both know horror stories that we've seen at the, the amusement parks here where there was a kid who got killed because he decided to go get his hat that had dropped off of the bottom of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And he got kicked in the head and, and, and the poor person who kicked him in the head, who didn't not mean to, had to ride the rest of the roller coaster with a broken leg. All because mm-hmm. this guy was an idiot, and and the, it's the amazing. Scourge, Gary, this, it's it's like a scourge of issues with parks now has been the cell phone. Oh. Like I get that it's very convenient, and I get that it's very nice, but I cannot tell you the number of times I've seen a cell phone fly off a ride, and I thought, my God, what if that actually did hit somebody either on the train or hit somebody on the ground? And then you see all these parks now having to install these additional fencing, these additional barriers to make sure that that doesn't happen. And they will just, some parks have had to go to metal detectors on every individual ride to make sure that you're not sneaking your cell phone on just so you can get a selfie for the gram. It's like, no, no, no. 
safety. It's, it's baked into our industry, but the one X factor is the very people that we're trying to protect. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's the kids and it is, it's, a, it's of a certain generation where they just feel like everything needs to be documented. And, and yeah, we, we go back and, and listen, I always talk about Disneyland because they're the gold standard that everybody can relate to. Everybody knows Disneyland or Disney World. Uh, and the fact that when you get on the roller coasters there now, they literally tell you, put your phone, put all this stuff in that pocket right there on the right. Now they know there's a good mm-hmm. chance once you get out of the station, you're going to put that up, but at least they've gone through their due diligence of saying, we told you to put that up. We told you to put it in this pocket. And oh, by the way, there are, there are cameras at all times on this ride. So if anything happens, we're going to have, we're going to have the evidence that A, we told you to put it up. B, you took it out anyway. Oh God. I remember we were with our family uh, in 1995 at Walt Disney World riding Space Mountain. And we put our hands up on the lift hill and a booming, and I mean booming, voice came on over the, over the speaker saying, hands down, please. And let me tell you, those hands didn't go down faster than the speed of sound. They moved quickly right back down because you didn't want to piss off whoever that was, Mr. Spaceman or whatever, from his booth making sure that you were safe. But again, it goes back to just how safe everything really is, that they're always watching for that very reason to make sure that you're okay. I knew I was going to have fun talking to you. I always do. I always do have such a, this, this hour has flown by, uh, because it's just so damn operating. What a cool job you have and the passion you have for it is what I knew was going to be fun. I knew that we were going to go down there and, and you know, my goodness, we, we will need to do this again and just go down because I didn't get the rest of your list and I, and we're going to do this again so I can get the, the, the ones not so much. If you're willing to go down that, if you're willing to go, Hey, not so much ones that just never got to it. And also the other, the other things about the industry that you're in that I have never thought about. Right. I know there's got to be, and as you well know, in, in radio, what I've been doing, podcasting, whatever, there's things that nobody ever thinks about. Everybody thinks they want to do sure. a podcast. And, you know, the, the truth of it is, I read this. Do you know what the average lifespan of a podcast is? Eight episodes. No. Eight. It's really the only episode. Because you get into it and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, I got to do it again. Wait, I got to do it again. Wait, I got to do it again. Hold it. You said I got to do it again. They don't. Really- it requires effort, and it, it takes time, and and you know to produce something. What is this? I thought I was just talking. Exactly, and and just the grind of it, just the grind of anything. And I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me, but I'm I'm saying that is because it's it's the side that we don't ever think about. And so our mm-hmm. next episode, when you and I are going to do this again later this year, and especially as we get closer to summer, I I want to go down this again with you to find out more. The best. What do you recommend? What people should, you know, what roller coasters are worth literally planning a vacation around? I want to go down all that stuff with you. Well, you know what I always say, which is life always has its ups and downs and we're just along the ride. (laughs) Christopher Obey, my friend. Awesome job. Thank you. It was a pleasure as always, Gary. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time.